Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Favorite Show, the podcast where we talk about our favorite things. Every week, we pick a different topic to discuss, and since best can be subjective, we talk about the things that are our favorites. My name's Aaron. I'm Shannon. And... Kristen's back. Hey, Kristen. <laughs> Welcome back to the show, Kristen. It's always good to have you here. Thank you very much. need to much. do it more often. It's nice having you around. Thanks. <laughs> uh, before we get into this week's topic, I do have one email to read. It's from our mom. And she wrote in, the email is titled, Heavy Metal. <laughs> of all the episodes. I can't wait. Of all the episodes I thought mom was going to write in about, it was not this one. <laughs> what is she going to say? So she wrote in, she says, wow, I just listened to your heavy metal episode. I haven't listened to that playlist yet, but it should be interesting. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah. a good word. Um, Dad was telling me of his first introduction to metal. It was in 1968, and he and Uncle Joe had gone to the store to buy some records. Joe bought the 45 of Iron Butterflies in a Gutta de Vida, which is a song about the Garden of Eden. It is a 17-minute song with a three-minute drum solo. Uh, it actually sold more than 30 million copies and was the largest selling album until Led Zeppelin. You gotta listen. Dad ended up buying Glenn Campbell's Wichita Line Man. <laughs> <laughs> she says, here are some other favorites. In 1973, Styx introduced us to power ballads. These songs start slow, but they build to hard rock. Heavy metal bands like White Snake and Poison and Guns N' Roses made the power ballads more intense. These are all bands that I never expected my mom to bring up. This uh-uh. is great. Uh, White Snake's Here I Go Again was a number one hit. Guns N' Roses' November Rain was heavy metal, but so poetic. Aerosmith's Dream On was another favorite power ballad. Boston was another favorite. In the late 70s, they were a bridge between rock and metal. Boston was hard rock, but had a unique heavy metal sound. Maybe that's not considered heavy metal, but I would guess it to be close. Thanks for all the fun and interesting episodes. I love how you changed the favorite show intro to be heavy metal and enjoyed (laughs) Catherine's edition. Thanks again. You all rock, mom. (laughs) That did sound so good, Aaron. I totally rocked out. That was fun. That was totally a last minute idea. It was after we had finished rolling and... Was it you or Alex, Shannon? One of you was like, hey, so we're going to do it. A, you're going to have a metal version of the song. And I was like, oh, I got to do it, but I'm so busy. When can I find some time? And so I I just had like a couple hours open one afternoon and I plugged in a guitar and I cranked up the gain till it was just really, you know, chugging. <laughs> and I swear, Stephanie walked into the room and probably just saw me head banging because as soon as, <laughs> as soon as I got that chugging gotta. sound, I was I was done. I was like, oh, we're doing it. Yeah. So yes. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> yeah, you texted us a little like snippet and we're like, it's happening. And me and Alex both were like, yeah, it's happening. <laughs> it, just, yes. yeah, it, was, it was a picture of my, my logic session and it just was the title that said, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the favorite show, Metal. <laughs> That's awesome. So good. Oh, man. That's all the updates I have, unless you guys have anything you want to talk about before we get started. No. Nope. All right. Let's get on with it then. Our topic this week is our favorite historical fiction novels or books. I haven't decided yet. Books, novels, what do you think is better? <laughs> Probably just books. Okay. Historical yeah, fiction, books. books. We'll call it that. So this, I think, will be a very interesting and very fun topic. And I have to be honest, Kristen and Shannon, I will be relying heavily on you because I have been racking <laughs> my brain since we picked this topic. And I can only think of one historical novel I've ever read, and I didn't like it. So <laughs> I'm going to be letting you guys carry this thing. And I bet along the way you guys will bring up a book and I'll be like, oh, duh, I didn't think of that one. So... Or maybe not. Maybe I'll just be like, I haven't read that. I haven't read that. So anyway, this has been Aaron's (laughs) contribution to the podcast. (laughs) And now I'll let you two take it away. Maybe. You got to talk about your one book. So. Yeah, what was your one? I feel bad to bring it up because I really didn't care for it. But uh, it was The Thundering Herd by Zane Grey. So Zane Grey, I know, and his his novels are specifically Western genre, but I feel like that's probably like a subgenre, or at least in his way, it's kind of a subgenre of historical fiction. So they 
they take place in like the 1800s and they they are very much kind of glorifying and 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 romanticizing uh, the Western frontier in the 1800s. And he's written a ton. I, I this is the this is the one I read of his. Uh, and I didn't care for it because the whole time I kept thinking, man, this is so sad. Like these guys are out here hunting buffalo and they're just like shooting them for their pelts and then like maybe have some meat for dinner and then they leave them to rot. And then the way uh-huh. they treat the Native American population. And I was and this whole place this sounds so smelly and dusty and <laughs> this sounds awful. So <laughs> yeah. well, that's it had her. the opposite effect. I'm sure a lot of people were like, oh, the the wild west and i was just like this is sad so <laughs> yeah no i get that i've read a couple books that i just get sad or like really angry about and i'm like oh man this was not a feel good book at all <laughs> <laughs> well i'm sure this is not you know the the uh, best example of, of what you guys are going to talk about but um anyway that that was the one i could think of and i kept i, I really <laughs> maybe there maybe there will be others that you guys will bring up and i'll be like oh duh Aaron, that's why didn't you think of that? But I've been thinking all week and I have not come up with anything else. (laughs) Well, I will say my whole entire list are targeted to uh, like 14 years old and younger. (laughs) So here's just my quick teacher perspective here. There's two book series that are amazing for kids that either are getting introduced to historical fiction or the ones who found that as their genre that they just love. And if you need more, here's the ones I usually recommend. Um, Geared towards older kids are the I Survived series which um, tells the story of a historical event from the viewpoint of some kid who was able to survive that event. So like some examples, they have I Survived the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, I Survived the Destruction of Pompeii, AD 79, I Survived the Great Alaska Earthquake, 1964, um, et cetera, et cetera. They've got, (laughs) I was surprised to see this one, a newer one, I Survived the California Wildfires 2018. (laughs) But there are some graphic novels, there are just straight, novel novels and they are exciting while also very informative older kids really enjoy them as far as for younger audiences the magic treehouse series is actually yeah. really really good um which has a they're so good um there's a ton of books in the series but it focuses around jack and annie siblings from a small town in pennsylvania who discover a treehouse full of books and you know getting some fantasy thrown in there uh these books came from morgan lefay of camelot and so she's sort of sending them on different stuff. I, I'll be honest, I haven't actually read the first book in the series, so I don't know exactly how that goes, but I've read a lot of them throughout the rest of the series when I've needed to use them for a unit with students and things. Like we read about the Mayflower when it was Thanksgiving time one year and stuff like that. So very entertaining books, excellent writing, definitely keeps the kids interested. So two good series nice. right there. Nice. Very good. Yeah, it's interesting. I I always enjoy historical fiction. And as I was pulling up my list of favorites, um, the vast majority of them are books I read like in middle school, like that age between mm. like, I don't know, 10 and 15, where I don't know, I just I really read some really good books that really got me thinking deep or addressed hard topics yeah. that I'd never really thought about before because I was a kid. And uh, they really left just a good impression on me. Yeah. And 100% of the books I'm going to talk about have female lead characters as well. Heck yeah. <laughs> I just noticed I realized that. that most of mine did too, actually. <laughs> well, it's so fascinating because most of history, let's be honest, is written and recorded by men. And there aren't a ton 
of really amazing women figures they get written about and their stories told. And I feel like historical fiction is this wonderful medium for that where people can go back and tell the stories based off of what little information we do have and like tell this imagining of this is what they went through. This is the life that they lived or that they could have lived in these different time periods. And it's just really cool to see that story told. Well, now I feel extra uncultured, but let's no, continue. No, no, I'm gonna, no. No, this <laughs> no, is good. no, no. This is good for me. I'm going to be making lots of notes on this list and I'm going to jump into all of these and I will be a better person for having read them. <laughs> all right. Nice. All right, Kristen, give us a good book. All right. This is one that I read just a couple years ago. It's called Among the Red Stars. It was published in 2017 by Gwen C. Katz, and it takes place during World War II. I feel like there's a ton of historical fiction around World War II. And Mm -hmm. I have a couple others on my list, and a lot of them can be really heavy and really sad because they deal with things like concentration camps and, uh, you know, this terrible war. Um, Among the Red Stars is a really fun read. There are sad moments. It does, you know, it deals with war, but it centers around this girl named Valka. And she lives in Russia. And she is a pilot. She went to flight school in her little town. Um, She like flew like crop dusters and stuff. And uh, this boy that she grew up with gets enlisted and called away to be a soldier. And he's gone and interspersed throughout the novel are these letters that she are back and forth between her and this boy. And it's just so heartbreaking because throughout the novel, you just see this deterioration of his spirit. And he just like goes from this like very happy character to just this like, I'm going to die out here. And there's nothing I can do about it. And it's just like so sad and heartbreaking. And in the end, you do see the two of them reunited. Spoiler. But most of the story centers around Valka. And this is based on the true story of the Night Witches. And this is just really cool, you guys. So in Russia, there... um, All right, let's see if I can find it real quick. Thank you, Wikipedia. All right, Night Witches (laughs) was an all-female military aviation group, uh, the 588th Night Bomber Regiment of the Soviet Air Forces. Women were officially barred from combat at the time, but Major Marina Ruskova used her position and personal contacts with the Soviet leader to obtain permission to form female combat units. And so they trained, but they never really did anything until finally combat facilitated and ushered in a reluctant acceptance of women in military based more upon practicality and necessity than for equality. And on October 8th, 1941, an order was issued to deploy three women's Air Force units, including the Night Witches. And that nickname was given to them by German soldiers because what these women flew were these biplanes that were wood and canvas. And they were these tiny little planes that they jury-rigged with um, bombs that these women would have to fly up to a certain altitude, cut their engines, and glide down to where they would manually release their bombs. And the sound of the canvas flapping in the wind terrorized the German soldiers. They would hear that noise and they'd be like, oh my gosh, it's the night witches! And these women would bomb them, then start the engines and fly out of there before they could be gunned down. And so this book is all about this fictional woman who was part of this real-life regiment. And it is just amazing. I love this book. I love that this was a real thing that these women who 
you know, took flight lessons for fun or to help on their farms were finally enlisted and needed. And just the impracticality of they, they were flying crop dusters pretty much like, like they were flying the worst of the worst planes that you could possibly be given because they weren't real soldiers, but they did so much damage, not just like actual physical damage, but like mentally, just like the fact that they were given this nickname and talked about in fear by the enemy soldiers. It's just, ah, it was such a good book and so interesting to read about. That is awesome. And what a good one to start with. That's straight at the top yeah. of my list. That sounds amazing. I've heard of them in some of my uh, World War II history books. And and yeah, like you said, these these biplanes were so outdated by the time World War II came along. They were they were World War One era planes. And yeah, what a what a crazy cool story. Oh man, I'm gonna read that one for sure. Yeah, that was a fun one. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I've I've heard of that book, but I've never read it. Uh, one of my favorites is The Witch of Blackbird Pond. Oh, which good. I'm so glad you talked talks, about it. Uh, like it's based around the same time as the Salem Witch Trials. Uh, and just here's the quick snippet online about it. 16-year-old Kit Tyler is marked by suspicion and disapproval from the moment she arrives on the unfamiliar shores of Colonial Connecticut in 1687. Alone and desperate, she's been forced to leave her beloved home on the island of Barbados and join a family she has never met. And then it goes through some more of the stuff from the plot, but basically she arrives to this town and I don't remember if she saves someone who's drowning or what, but she ends up swimming in a pond or a lake and everybody clutches their pearls and how dare this woman be swimming she must be a witch She's and a so witch. yeah and uh then she eventually befriends a woman who is single and a loner and egads she must also be a witch because she's single and alone and so it's you know this coming of age story about this girl with finding this friendship and discovering who she is and what matters most to her while also having to deal with the society that is so suspicious of maybe what her motives are and things like that. So it's a very, very good book. Nice. Yeah, that's one that I've reread many, many times. It's It's got a good, like, romance side to it too, Aaron. I know you're a sucker for oh, a good romance. I am. <laughs> you know me well. <laughs> and it's just fun. That is a fun one. Shannon, did you ever read Calico Captive? Yes, I love that one too. Okay, same author, different time period, but... Another good one, Aaron. I didn't realize it was the same author. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Next one I want to talk about is called Kindred, and it was written in 1979 uh, by Octavia Butler. I just barely read this a couple months ago um, after we recorded the sci-fi episode, actually. I went and looked up like a list of like top 50 sci-fi books, and this one was on it but it was really interesting reading it. The sci-fi bit is that there's some time travel, but it's mostly historical fiction because what it is is there's this woman, this black woman married to a white man living uh, in San Francisco, I think, in America somewhere in the 70s. And out of the blue, she time travels back to the antebellum South. Uh, and there's this little boy drowning in the river and she swims in and saves him. And when she gets to the bank, there's like a man with a shotgun pointed at her face and he's like yelling at her and like, like, who's your owner? Where are you from? What are you doing with my boy? And, and, and she's like so confused what's going on. And then she slips back to her normal time and she like freaks out. She's like, what the heck just happened? And it keeps happening every now and then and like one or two times her husband is touching her and like time travels with her one time he gets left behind when she comes back to the to the present and then she gets him again when they go back to the past but what it is is she's um 
being called back in time by one of her ancestors, this white man who is a plantation owner. Um, He starts out as that little boy who was drowning and time passes differently. And as she goes back and visits him each of these times, he's a little older, little older until most of their interactions are when he's like in his 20s. And this book hit hard. It was so difficult to read, um, but in a good way, because it's the story of slavery written from the perspective of a black woman, but it's a modern telling because she's a woman from the modern time. So it's, um, I don't know, it, it was hard because there are definitely scenes written about in the book where there's violence um, against the slaves, where there's violence against women. They're like, like nothing too graphic, but still it's heavy hitting. And this book just really addressed, you know, you you can read about something difficult, but to hear it from the perspective of someone who, you know, maybe not necessarily lived it, but who's closer to it. I'm a white girl. I, I will never experience that kind of thing ever in my life. And I can only, you know, try my best to understand it and to have empathy and understanding and love for people who experience racism, but to see it written in this way, it's whoa, it was heavy, yeah. it was good, and I would highly recommend it. That sounds powerful, yeah, yeah, it does. Um, a book from my list that I think gave me a kind of a similar experience, and I'm trying to remember how old I was when I read it. I want to say maybe 11 or 12 years old, but is the book The Watsons Go to Birmingham, 1963, and this book is incredible. It was my favorite book for a very, very long time. The quick little blurb on here when the Watson family, 10-year-old Kenny, mama, dad, little sister Joetta, and brother Byron set out on a trip south to visit grandma in Birmingham, Alabama. They don't realize that they're heading toward one of the darkest moments in America's history, which is uh, a bombing of a church in uh, Birmingham in 1963. And I I wasn't aware of that in history when I read this book. And so I was blindsided because (laughs) I was reading through this book and it is like, it's hilarious and the family is just so fun to read about and their interactions with each other. And then halfway through the book, the bombing happens and the whole entire tone shifts. And I remember as a kid reading this, how, like, I can't think of even a better word to describe it, but how powerful and poignant that was for me reading it. That, you know, like you were saying, Kristen, this is not an experience that I have. And um, to read it from this perspective was so interesting and, you know, was definitely an important life lesson for me. And, you know, to see how this family that we just barely read about them taking this road trip and them goofing off together and seeing how this affected them and how they were able to build each other up and, you know, survive and move forward from this. Um, It was just such an incredible book and the way they were able to handle both sides of this, this family levity to this incredibly dark moment was very cool to be able to read that. And yeah, The Watsons Go to Birmingham, 1963. Very, very good book. Uh, I guess back to me. Yeah, don't wait for me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) all right i want to talk about two books uh catherine called birdie and the midwife's apprentice uh these are two books that i first read in like i don't know fifth grade baby and i love them i've reread them so many times uh catherine called birdie was published in 1994 and the midwife's apprentice midwife's apprentice in 1996 both by karen cushman and i love these they deal with like medieval england girls and this 
uh, I really liked The Midwife's Apprentice. That that really was the first time I ever saw like a realistic approach to like childbirth and labor and health in general in that era. And it was just very like eye opening, still written, you know, for like kids. But then Catherine called Birdie. I absolutely adore. It's written uh, as like a journal. Uh, and it's just so funny. It's about this 14 year old girl named Catherine who comes from what we would probably consider like a middle class family. Like like she's not super rich, but she's also not a peasant. She her her father owns land and she throughout the book she's he they're they're trying to like marry her off for more money and good connections and stuff. And it's just her writing about her experiences. And it starts off that she like each journal entry is like a single sentence or two maybe where she's like, Well, we ate pig today. I had five fleas. <laughs> um like like so like you know, she doesn't want to be doing this. It's uh, because her older brother, who is a monk, asked her to do this, thinking it would help her to have a more positive outlook on life. And so her mom told her, listen, if you fill out this journal for your brother, you don't have to do your needlework, which Catherine absolutely hates. And so she's like, huzzah, I'll do it. <laughs> and so after that, like her entries get more detailed and more interesting. And it's just funny. It's funny and lighthearted, but very realistic. And it's just so interesting to once again, like read about this time period. Like I could tell you about like King Arthur and like the fantasy side of stuff, but this is like a realistic look at it. And it's just fun. And it's I haven't seen the TV show. Have you, Shannon? No. I remember hearing it was a thing, though. Okay. I hmm. (laughs) I think they changed the ending, which makes me sad. But Mm. anyway. But yeah, Catherine called Birdie and The Midwife's Apprentice. Both super quick, easy reads, lighthearted and fun, but still, you know, gives you that fun look at that time period. So, cool. And if yeah. you want to have a look at that time period in a much longer book and much less lighthearted, you have Crispin. <laughs> <laughs> so Crispin, I did not lead into it well, but it really is how I just described it. But it is a very, very good uh, story. It takes place in medieval England. Same thing that you were saying. I feel like I know the fantasy side of Middle Ages and medieval times and things. Um, but Crispin does a really excellent job of getting into, um, you know, the religion aspect that was so prevalent in society. And it does tell the story of a peasant. Um, so the description here, Crispin is a poor 13-year-old peasant in medieval England accused of a crime he did not commit. He has been declared a wolf's head, meaning he may be killed on sight by anyone. He flees his tiny village with nothing but his mother's cross of lead. In the English countryside, Crispin meets a man named Bear, who forces Crispin to become his servant, yet encourages him to think for himself. But as Crispin's enemies draw ever closer, he is pulled right into the fortress of his foes, where he must find a way to save their very lives so wow it's it's a lot it's it's intense it's exciting um and it's interesting because you know you really get this side to history that you know i you hear about the kings and the princesses and the queens and whatever and then Mm -hmm. to yeah have this poor kid with nothing in a very terrible position is it's a very good book nice yeah nice all right let's shift to another time period all right This book is called Hamilton and Peggy. (laughs) (laughs) Quite literally, the name of the book, Hamilton and Peggy. Oh, good. Um, (laughs) Written in 2018 by L.M. Elliott. Um, This book is a hoot. It's funny because the cover is like styled like the musical Hamilton, except it's Peggy doing doing the pose. uh, Anyway. Nice. Um, This is a fun book. Uh, I knew next to nothing 
about Peggy, you know, pretty much what I learned from the musical. Uh, and it's hilarious because that's kind of like how the book opens is everyone knows Angelica. She's the very witty, clever, heartbreaker, oldest sister. And then there's Eliza, who's beautiful and sweet and I kind think you meant and Eliza. <laughs> yes. And Peggy. And then there's Peggy, which <laughs> nobody is like, like, you know, she's the third Skylar sister. That's mm. just her claim to fame. Um, <laughs> this book dives into her. It, it's written from her perspective. It's um, they pull from letters written by Peggy uh, and Hamilton's actually only in the book like a little bit it's funny that he's in the title um, but it really talks about Peggy it talks about her relationship with her sisters and the rest of her family about um, her relationship with George and Martha Washington um, about a bunch of the different soldiers all like these real historical figures that if you've seen the musical Hamilton or heard it like you know all these other names and this book is all about Peggy and her life and I thought it was so funny, like reading it there, these sisters, there's only like a year difference in their age, like Angelica, I don't know, is like 21, Eliza's 20, and Peggy's 19. Like they're all so close in age. And I didn't realize that like, mm. I think of them as being like, so spaced out, like, maybe that's just because Shannon's five years younger than me. And that's what I think of when I think like little sisters is like a <laughs> little sister, but no, it was, I mean, they were really close in age and, and to see like Angelica ran off with this guy and eloped and then and then Eliza and uh, Hamilton and then Peggy gets involved. Like it was really interesting seeing how she got involved with the war efforts kind of accidentally where her father's home was a place where messages were like sent and received. And it was kind of this like in between place for the revolutionists to send their messages. And Peggy was very good at languages. She spoke multiple languages. She was very smart, very clever, very observant. And there were several times that her father would have messages that she would be called in to um, translate them or to help decipher them or to translate them into a different language, like ways to to fool the British soldiers. And it was really cool seeing how she actually did quite a bit. And it was interesting reading about times that like the British soldiers came to their home and how Peggy's quick thinking saved Eliza's kids or all these different situations. It's just a fun book. Um, it's like a young adult book. So it's a pretty easy read, but it's fun and interesting and really kind of digs into some of the facts about Peggy. That's really cool. I like that a lot. And, you know, I'm sure they, they titled it Hamilton and Peggy because Hamilton is so popular and everybody knows yes. as soon as you have Hamilton on there, everyone <laughs> mm -hmm. immediately snaps to it. But it might have been, it would have been even funnier if the book was called And Peggy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but that sounds really interesting. That's cool. Yeah. I don't know when the best time will be to talk about this book, but this is a downer book and I love it. Um, <laughs> and that is Sadako and the Thousand Paper Cranes. It is Aww. a very short book. Yep, that's the appropriate response. <laughs> um, but this is a story set post-World War II about a young Japanese girl who lives in Hiroshima. That's a setting for fun. <laughs> yes. So, But it is such a beautiful book, and it's so poignant and sad, but it's such a good book. Um, but Sadako, who was a real person, a star of her school's running team, lively and athletic until the dizzy spells start, then she must face the hardest race of her life, the race against time where she was diagnosed with, I believe, leukemia. And she was told from some friends about the Japanese myth that if you are able to fold a thousand paper cranes in the course of one year, you will be granted a wish. 
And so it is about her trying to make these thousand paper cranes in the hospital and through chemo and through whatever she needs to do in order to finish up making these thousand paper cranes before it's too late. And it's very short, but is so beautiful and sad. So definitely a favorite of mine, but you got to be in the right mood for it. Mm -hmm. I remember reading that in school because I remember our class like combined tried to make a thousand cranes. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a good one. Well, here's a good sad book from my elementary school days. The Devil's Arithmetic. Did you ever read that one, Shannon? I have read that one and I can't ever read it again. (laughs) It's so sad. Um, I was debating between this one and Number of the Stars, which is another really sad. Both of these are about the Holocaust, which is why they're so sad. Um, But I feel like The Devil's Arithmetic hit harder because it's from inside one of the concentration camps is the the setting. So The Devil's Arithmetic was written in 1988 by Jane Yolen. And this one also uses time travel. Um, and here, let me find what the author said. I feel like she put it really well. Um, let's see. Uh, while writing the novel, uh, the author spent a week at a private school where she explained to students about her, first, her, about her forthcoming work, saying that she thought children would be able to relate better to a modern perspective. And so that's why she used this time travel where the story is about a 14 year old girl living in modern times. And as they're doing their um, Passover dinner, uh, she goes to open the door for the prophet Elijah, as you're symbolically supposed to do. And as she opens the door, she steps through into um, Poland, 1942. And she at first is just like, what is happening? Am I in a dream? Did I eat something weird? What is going on? And she keeps trying to wake up and she can't. And she has time traveled back and she's someone else. And the next day she goes to this wedding in town and the soldiers come and they gather everyone in town and they take them to a concentration camp. And it is just heartbreaking. It is so sad reading about this because it's it's just so real reading it reading about what the adults went through, about what the children went through. And just, oh, it tore my heart out. And I actually, <laughs> I feel terrible. I um, bought this book because it made such an impression on me. And I own this. And I didn't warn Scarlett ahead of time. Oh, and she no. read it. Oh, and no. she she told me, like, why, like, she came to me, like, so upset. Like, why do we own this book? And I told her, mm. like, kind of what I'm saying here, like, it's hard, but we need to read about these things. We need to remember the past in order to avoid repeating it. We need to know about the stuff that happened and remember the people that we lost. And she was just like, fine, but I'm never going to read it again. And she, like, she, she was so Same mad girl. about it. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. And that's when I went to my bookshelf and I like rearranged everything. And there's like one shelf that I told Scarlett is age appropriate technically, but I want her to tell me before she reads any of those books <laughs> so I can explain things. Like I have oh, man. Yeah. It, it almost oh, yeah, reminds that. me of uh, Mouse, you know, the graphic novel. Like, yes. you can see someone oh, yeah. picking up and be like, hey, cool, comic book. Oh, no. No. <laughs> you know? It's amazing. It's yes. totally, it's, a, it's an incredible book. But yeah, it's, it's it, yeah. <laughs> I, see, I see your point. Oh, oh for man. sure. Yeah, that one's hard. I did have Number of the Stars on my list as well, which that one instead is told from the perspective of the Danish resistance that's smuggling out uh, the Jewish population that's in Denmark, uh, saving nearly 7,000 people uh, in the process. But it's talking about a little girl whose family is part of this resistance who take in her best friend and conceal her as part of the family. And so that one, also difficult, but... Ooh, Devil's Arithmetic is a lot. <laughs> Did you realize that Number of the Stars is written by 
Lewis Lowry, or however you pronounce his name, yes, the guy that Lois. wrote The Giver, guy, girl, is it? I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I thought, it was, I I thought she was a woman. I got to double check now. It could be. I don't know. I've, I've only <laughs> ever read the name. Lowry. Quick, but Google. yes, yeah. Someone look it up. Yes, she. She, Lois oh. Lowry. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. She yeah, I knew. She, yeah, she wrote The Giver, too. Dang it. Okay. Which is such a good book. No, see, you were right, though. You had that. <laughs> like, we're all learning a lot here. It's all good. Okay. We're learning a lot. Um, <laughs> let's... Let's pick a peppy book here. Let's talk about Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> uh, so Laura Ingalls Wilder wrote these stories. It's a nine uh, book series, actually, about her life growing up as an American pioneer, basically. Uh, the first book is Little House in the Big Woods. Meet the Ingalls family, Laura, Pa, Ma, Mary, and baby Carrie, who all live in a big, cozy log cabin in the big woods of Wisconsin in the 1870s. And Little House on the Prairie, the TV show I feel like most everybody knows, was actually not until book three, when Pa sells the log house in the woods and they pick up uh, and move from Wisconsin to Kansas where they build their little house on the prairie mm. and they have their farm life and things and um, I've read Little House in the Big Woods and I've read Little House on the Prairie and I don't know that I have read all the rest of the books if I have they haven't really stuck with me but they're nice little feel good books and uh, you know definitely entertaining for the fact that you know you're reading about life on the prairie and life you know before things were all developed and everything just a simpler time so definitely a good feel good book nice yeah well, let's talk about the American girls, shall we, Shannon? Hey, let's! They weren't even on my list. They're so good, though. I figured you two were going to start with those. <laughs> they are so great. Well, I talked about them a little bit back on our female empowering media episode, but the American girls, they were a gem. The the, the very first ones that came out, um, I got to be honest, I have not been impressed with recent American girl books and the stories that they give them, but... The original, I don't know, like six, seven. What number was Kit? Do you know? Nah. Well, she was I just like know, the last after one. Kit. Oh, I was gonna say after Kit was Kaya. I thought Kaya was good, and I don't remember. I think after Kaya was Julie, and that's that was the seventies, and it kind of went gotcha. downhill from there. I thought. Well, the original American Girls uh, were just delightful. They are written for children, um, like very beginner chapter books, uh, and this was like my first introduction to a lot of really serious topics in history. Um, the, the big one I really want to dig into is Addie. Um, she probably is the one that I've reread the most just because probably same thing. She just in, like opened my eyes to things that I had never even really thought about or experienced. Addie, the American girl, the doll and books were introduced in 1993. Um, they talk about an African-American girl named Addie. Uh, I think she starts nine, turns 10 throughout the book series, but she, the, the very first book, it is crazy that like, I read this as like, I don't know, like an eight or nine year old kid in the very first book, she's on a plantation in North Carolina. And like within the first two chapters, she doesn't pay close attention to like, she's supposed to be like gathering like caterpillars off of the plants or something like that. And she like misses some cause she's like daydreaming. And this, uh, plantation worker, this, What's the term? The the taskmaster? The the what's the right word? The I don't remember. I don't know. The mean white guy who's like in charge <laughs> of keeping the, the slaves doing what they're doing. He like beats her. He beats this girl across the hands, this little girl. In the next chapter, her mom's like trying to like soothe her hands and stuff, and they make plans to escape, to run away from this plantation. And when they run away, it's just Addie and her mom, and they have to leave behind 
her baby sister because she would cry and give them away. And so they leave the baby behind with the grandparents because they're too old to run. And so they have to leave them. And like the day before, her father and brother were were sold to a different plantation. And it is... Heavy. It is intense. This is a book for children. Oh, well, specifically, yeah, it's it's aimed at nine year olds. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, wow. it's really young and it's crazy. And but like her mom and her escape and they have to try to build this life for themselves. And uh, later on in the book series, happy things, they do reunite with their family. They do meet the, 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 the grandparents and the baby again. But like it's been two years or something like that a year maybe and like when they reunite the baby doesn't recognize her mom like it's this heartbreaking scene of the mom reaching for her baby and her baby recoils because she's like I don't know you and it's like oh Man. and then yeah. and then later there's like soldiers that have been participating in the civil war that show up and Addie recognizes the voice of her brother and she like whips around and she sees him and he's like missing an arm because he fought in the war but they're but they're together again. It's just like by the end of it all, they're together. And it's this like beautiful, heartwarming thing. But it's also like, holy cow, this like is this doesn't sugarcoat things. This is a good no. real introduction for children. And like Addie was just amazing. And like Kit deals with the Great Depression and Kirsten is like the pioneers crossing the plains. I, I remember the first time I ever cried reading a book was meet Kirsten and her best friend dies of cholera. And I'm like, oh, Tears pouring down wow. my little face. Well, and in, in the first Kirsten book, isn't it dealing with like immigration stuff too? And like yeah. the difficulty of moving from Sweden to the Americas. And mm-hmm. and there's like this language barrier and there's all uh-huh. these problems going on. Like Samantha's growing up during uh, the... the Revolutionary War, wasn't it? The, the what, sorry? No, no, not Samantha. I'm thinking Molly. Samantha Never mind. was... Ignore me. Um, yeah, Molly was World War II. Uh, Samantha was women's suffrage going on and like oh her, and i have them her, all wrong anyway i'm thinking felicity sorry samantha yes. women women <laughs> suffrage. The revolutionary Keep going. oh my gosh but just like seriously <laughs> like they dealt with real things and it's just they were good and i have diligently sought to to buy every single so each of them is like a five or six book series where they're really short and it's really fun like at the end of each book there's like three or four pages where they're like here's a snapshot of the real times and it like they have they have pictures and journal entries and they talk about like the facts that they pulled from to make these stories. And they're just fun. They're, they're, they're good. And I don't know. I think they're worth reading. That's really cool. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, I have to talk about this one. This one is very loosely historical fiction, and that is Banner in the Sky. I love this book. Finally, a book I have read. <laughs> I do know Banner in the Sky. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yeah, so this book I say is very loosely because it is sort of based on the climbing of the Matterhorn, but it's it takes place in a fictional town with a fictional mountain and a fictional kid, but you squint your eyes and in it's the climbing of the Matterhorn. So uh, it counts. The uh, Yeah, there you go. So uh, the description here, Joseph Matt, the only man ever to try to conquer this last summit of the Alps, met his end in the pursuit. Now his son, Rudy, dares to complete the same task in memory of his father. Setting off with his father's red shirt, Rudy must courageously pass through the same chasm that took his father's life and finish the challenging climb in order to plant the shirt at the peak. This book is amazing. It is 
so action packed that like it's got it's a page turner by definition that you just find yourself just needing to know what happens next. It ends in a way you don't expect it to. It is such a good, good book. I remember reading that one as part of some grade. I can't remember how young I was in school and reading it and thinking, boy, this is a good book. And then I revisited it years later and thought the same thing. I was like, man, this is really this is really a pretty epic book. So I'm glad I, I'm glad I have one. <laughs> <laughs> that that was a book that I bought at a yard sale from the Boyntons, actually, oh, and went really? home and read it and was like, wow, this is a cool book. And then years later, I remember bringing it up to people and realizing that like nobody had heard of this book. Nobody had read this book. And so I found myself buying every single copy I could get my hands on. Every yard sale I went to, I bought this book. Any kind of like give like those little local library things that you take a book, leave a book kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I gathered up a whole bunch of copies so I could read it with my class this year. <laughs> Oh, nice. So I have a class nice. set of these books, and I made all these kids read this book, and they loved it. It was great. Awesome. Nice. <laughs> oh, back to me. All right. Last one. Um, let's talk about The Hired Girl. Uh, this is one mom read, actually. She was out visiting me, and she was really nervous for flying on the airplane. And so I told her to pick a, a, bo- a book from my shelves. And this is one that I picked out thinking she might like it, and she read it, and she did. So she actually bought me a new copy because she kept the other one. (laughs) Nice. Uh, So this was written in 2015 by Laura Amy Schlitz. Sorry, Laura. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure she's listening. (laughs) All the time. I am convinced every person I ever talk about on this show, and I butcher their name, they're all shaking their heads. They're all disappointed in us. (laughs) (laughs) So this is one. It takes place in 1911, and it's the story of a 14-year-old girl. And it's written uh, in kind of diary format where this girl was given this diary by her teacher and she is no longer allowed to go to school because her mom has died and her dad needs her to be the woman of the farm and to stay home and do all the housework and all the chores and stuff, which sadly, as much as you know, we poke fun of it in movies and stuff, was actually the reality of women at this time. And so... She doesn't want this life. Uh, She wants to be able to learn and to do things. And so she runs away from home and goes to the city where she gets hired as a maid in this uh, very traditional Jewish household, even though she's not Jewish. And that's cause for some comedy throughout where she clashes with this like 80 year old little cook who works there, who's very traditional Orthodox Jew. And anyway, um, so this girl has to pretend like she's older than she is because she's only 14 and no one would hire her. They'd probably send her back home. And so she pretends like she's like 18, I think. And she gets hired. And it just deals with her trying to navigate living a life on her own and trying to still learn and still have some independence while still having to work hard to get by and do all these things. And it's just a really funny, lighthearted book um, that just is this like snapshot, this glimpse into that time period. And there's this kind of cultural clash that happens between her and the family because she is Christian, not Jewish. And there's like these funny moments sprinkled throughout. And then just just that time period is just so interesting. Uh, Yeah, that's all. I think that's my last one. Nice. Nice. Boy, what a list of books. I have a lot of catching up to do. This will be good. (laughs) I'm going to be looking for all of these uh, audiobook versions of them, and I'm going to crank through them, and they're going to be so good. And you're nice. going to be so proud of me because I'll have learned things. <laughs> it's going to be great. Kristen, thanks so much for joining. This was this was excellent. I was glad 
glad between the two of you, you could carry this thing through. This was, this was great. Oh, thanks. But I guess this is probably a good spot to wrap it up. Uh, as usual, we want to hear what you think. Send us an email at thefavoriteshow at gmail.com. Look us up on Instagram at thefavoriteshowpodcast. Let us know your favorite historical fiction books. And also let us know if you have suggestions for future topics or guests or whatever. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And we'd love a five-star rating if you like what you hear. And if you don't feel like giving us a five-star rating, it's probably because I am an uncultured dunce. <laughs> so don't do it for me. Give us the five stars for Kristen and Shannon who know their stuff and are cultured <laughs> and are cool and give them all the five stars you got. <laughs> hey, thanks. Well, I guess that'll do it until next week. My name's Aaron. I'm Shannon. And I'm Kristen. Talk to y'all later. Bye. Cue the music. All right, honorable mentions, go for it. The Other Boleyn Girl and the Constant Princess by Philippa Gregory. Esperanza Rising by Pam Munoz Ryan. The True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle by Abby. Who also wrote Crispin, by the way. Oh. The K by Theodore Taylor. Sarah, Plain and Tall by Patricia McLaughlin. Astronauts, Women on the Final Frontier by Jim Ottavani and Maris Wicks. It is a graphic novel and very good. Night of the Twisters by Ivy Ruckman. They Called Us Enemy by George Takei. Uh, The Work and the Glory series by Gerald Lund. Sweet Clara and the Freedom Quilt. The Girls of Many Lands book series, which is also from the American Girl. Um, This was written about older girls, like 12 and 13, and they each got a single novel instead of a book series. And same thing, different time periods, different countries, really dove into those time periods. My personal favorites were Cecile that took place in France and Mila that took place in India. Uh, Balloons over Broadway. I didn't look up the authors for my picture books. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. (laughs) Would you count To Kill a Mockingbird as historical fiction? Yes. Yes. That's a good one by Harper Lee. Another book I've read. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Finding Winnie. Oh, that's a great one. I didn't even think of including picture books. I'm done with my honorable mentions, but I'm sure there's a ton. You Here's go. some more. May Among the Stars. Mary Wears What She Wants. And, oh, I think that's actually the end of my list. Oh, technically <laughs> also, Anne of Green Gables. Yeah.